Welcome to the Rami Lavi podcast. Same thing going on still. It's still me talking about sports and what happened with the Yankees against the Astros over the weekend and Aaron Judge and what his contract situation is. NBA free agency, the draft, the Knicks were the talk of the town on draft night. Was it good? Was it bad? Spoiler alert, not great. All that and more coming up next. Welcome to the Rami V podcast. It's kind of cool. In studio right now at the fan in Baltimore. And it's a new era for me. It's something big. It's important because it's just finally my name and it's what it should be. And it's what I've been working on and kind of teasing on this podcast for a while. But after a while, I kind of stopped talking about it because it just wasn't happening yet. And now it's finally here. Um, it's ready. AJ Castiglia killed it with the graphic designs on the cover art. The name is different, obviously, and Dave Levinger killed it with uh, his job that he did on the release video. Everything just came together in a perfect way, and so I appreciate those guys. But I kind of want to take it back and talk about what happened, what exactly I'm trying to do here, what's going on. Let's take it from the top. I mean, I started this podcast about uh, a year and a half ago because I wanted to talk about sports, and I didn't have a platform to do it on. And I grew up, I remember when I was a little kid, and it's funny how some of this stuff comes back to you now, but... I had a MP3 player that my parents got me and I used to have these mock baseball games that I made up and I would record on this MP3 player, this big clunky thing with like those uh, rubber edges that made it like soft on the edges on the corners. Um, and I would record baseball games. I would listen to podcasts on that. I remember I downloaded a radio show after the Yankees won the World Series and I downloaded the Bill Simmons podcast on this MP3 player in 2009. And I listened to the podcast on repeat because that was the only thing I had on that podcast because on that MP3 player um, because like there wasn't anything else. It wasn't like the type of thing that had it was connected to Wi-Fi and I could just download whatever I had to plug into the computer to download. So I ended up listening to the same things over and over again. My father obviously was a big sports fan. He would call into sports stations. I talked about often how I think a big reason why I am so into sports is because it was such a major part of the relationship I had with my father. I never thought it could be a career. And then, you know, I was sitting at home. A lot of people had this during the pandemic. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to start this because the only way I know if I can actually do this is if I try and fail. And if I don't fail, then I wasn't trying. And the only thing worse than failing is not trying in the first place. So I talk about how this podcast is about sports and it's about life, but it's also about chasing your dreams. And it's how it's following me along on this journey. And today, when I was doing the traffic reports and people were reaching out to me left and right saying, hey, I heard you on the radio. Hey, I heard this uh, traffic report sending me videos. The support I've gotten from people when I made the announcement today it's just incredible to see how many people are part of this ride with me. So if you're listening right now, I really appreciate you because I couldn't do this without the people listening right now. And the support is what helps me continue to do it. That said, the reason I changed the podcast name, obviously I started the podcast and then I get the job at Odyssey, a sales job. I work my way into a talent role at the station working on the media side and I've been working my way up. I've been working overnights. I still work overnights. And now I'm starting to get some other opportunities. I'm saying yes to everything because that's the only way to advance in this kind of role is to say yes to every opportunity. So when they say, hey, do you want to do traffic reports? I say, of course. When they tell me, hey, go out to the ballpark for seven hours and just sit there on the headset setting up the audio and being the audio engineer, something I've never done, I do it. All these things I've said yes to because I'm trying to make a career for myself. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but the point is that I've tried to advance myself and... 
a big part of that for me is to put my name on something that I'm doing. So the podcast for me is always what's been most special for me. That was the first thing. That's what started it. And to me, if I make it to the point that I want to make it, that will be the thing that blows up will be my podcast. It'll be my show. So therefore, I thought it made sense that it has my name on it both for the future and for right now. The reason for the future is, like I said, that's going to be my show. That's about me. And for right now, because I'm trying to grow my brand, and the only way to grow my brand is to put my name on it and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. I'm announcing to the world that this is what I want to be doing. This is my portfolio. This is where you could find me. This is where I'm going to be working towards what I hope to be as a career and a future in this industry. And now I'm doing that. I'm putting my stamp on it. And I wouldn't be able to do that without the support of everyone. And coming out and saying this is just awesome. While it is kind of just my portfolio for me and for my future, to a platform for me to keep growing and to keep trying to do better, I appreciate everyone who listens and gives me the feedback that they give me. It's really much appreciated. It, it blows my mind. And I, I couldn't be doing any of this stuff. So I really just wanted to thank everyone and just welcome everyone to the new era. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be trying some new things on the podcast, getting some new sponsors we're working on. Um, hopefully, we're working on getting a producer, all these things that I'm going to be putting into the podcast uh, to make it as good as it possibly could be. I think right now it is at its best point. It continues to get better. It continues to grow. And I just can't wait for it to be at its peak because that is this is what I love. And everyone listening and everyone supporting, I, I couldn't do it without anyone again. I can't reiterate that enough. So thank you. Into the episode, though, because the stuff that I talk about is not going to change that much. Like, if you look, this says episode 72. It's my 72nd episode. The feed stayed the same. Everything remains the same. It's just on a different name, a different logo. It kind of speaks more to who I am. Yes, that is New York City in the background. That's the skyline because I talk mainly New York sports. That's going to continue. Talking sports is going to continue. All the great stuff that's been happening so far on this podcast, none of that's going away. Hopefully, only just getting better and continuing to grow. So, in the sports world, the summer is officially here. Thank you to the Colorado Avalanche for reigning in the summer by winning the Stanley Cup. They win the Stanley Cup. By the way, great tweet by um, the official Stanley Cup. The Stanley Cup has its own Twitter account. Um, great tweet by them. They wrote, Turn the lights off, carry me home, which is obviously from all the small things that they all sing at the Avs games. They win the Cup, officially knocking off the Tampa Bay Lightning. And just like we talked about in basketball, all of a sudden, people are going to be saying, oh, well, was light, were the Lightning fraudulent? Maybe they weren't as good a team as we thought, right? The Lightning, they win the first title, was a bubble title. The second title, they beat one of the worst um, f cup final teams we've ever seen in Montreal. So everyone loves to analyze it after the fact. I'm not going to do that on this podcast. But now the NBA season is over. The NHL season is over. Both those championships have been won. And that leaves baseball. That means it's officially the time of the summer. It's the end of June already. It's time for baseball. And Jesse Winker just invited everyone to his show, welcomed everyone to the baseball season in the proper way, the real way, by starting what was one of the craziest fights, one of the craziest brawls we've seen in sports recently, and specifically in baseball. Jesse Winker went out there. Well, first of all, it was a total, just a crazy move by the Angels. Two teams under 500 that no one really cares about, theoretically, and yet they go out there and they're the in the headlines for days. I don't know if you saw the video that John Boy uh, made, the breakdown. I'll put that a uh, link to that in the description because I think this is the best work John Boy's ever made. And it's gotten to the point that John Boy is so popular that I didn't even watch the brawl so many times. I was like, I'm just going to wait for the John Boy video to come out because I need to see what he's doing. I need to see the breakdown on this one because there's so much going on in this video. So I waited for John Boy's video to come, back, come out. I watched it a couple of times. It was a 15-minute video, and it was so perfect. And then I also saw the score put out a grid. They had to make like a spreadsheet of everyone's... Um, 
suspensions. Like, who got suspended for what and how long? Because that's how many suspensions there were from this one brawl. So, really fun times if you're uh, watching this uh, on TV. It's kind of kind of fun to watch. To me, that's the official signal of, oh, it's summer now. Like, it's on. Baseball had a big brawl. And so, we're going to be talking baseball for the next few months. And I'm happy. I'm not complaining about talking baseball because my Yankees have been as fun as a team could be in an early process of a season. Now, 55-20 and 20 after they beat the A's for the second game straight tonight. Tonight, also another kind of nail-biter against a not-such-a-great team, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but the Yankees win 2-1. to one. Clay Holmes is still human. He gives up a run again tonight, but ultimately gets a save. The Yankees take the win. Also, Aaron Boone gets ejected in this game. The team is 55-20, and 20, 35 games over 500, and their manager is freaking out. Rightfully so. Aaron Judge struck out three times on a lot of questionable calls below his knees. He's been getting hosed on those calls probably since he's been in the majors, which is just crazy that he continues to get robbed of at-bats and strikes, and the league hasn't adjusted to a guy who's the MVP. But speaking of Aaron Judge, he had quite the weekend. It started on Thursday night when he had the walk-off against the Houston Astros, a huge series against the Astros. And then Friday morning, I talked about his arbitration hearing on Thursday, and then Friday morning, they come to an agreement. All of a sudden, out of the blue, we thought it was going to go to arbitration. He was ready to hear all the terrible things the Yankees had to say about him. And they come to an agreement, and I love the agreement, because what Judge has proven all year is that he cares about incentives. He wants to be incentivized to play well. He wants the pressure. He wants the prove-it deal. He wants the prove-it contract. He turned down $280 million because he thought he's worth more than that. So they didn't just give him the 21 that he was asking for. Obviously, if you don't remember, Aaron Judge was asking for $21 million, and the Yankees were offering him $17 million. Aaron Judge didn't just take the 21 and walk. He took 19, met in the middle, which the Yankees had offered him a while ago, and he turned down. Why did he take it now? Because they added incentives to it, including incentives if he wins the AL MVP, which he's by far the favorite to win right now. If he wins the World Series MVP, which who knows if the Yankees go to the World Series, I'd say he'd be the favorite to win the World Series MVP. So those incentives prove to me that Aaron Judge still is kind of saying, all right, I'm going to keep proving myself. And by the way, that's the best thing that could happen for the Yankees, because if he's continuing to have this chip on his shoulder that he feels that he needs to prove himself, that's incredible. I don't know how you could keep that going beyond this season for the next uh, contract that he signs, whatever contract that may be, however it may look. But we need to keep this going somehow, and the Yankees did a great job of making sure there's more incentives for Judge, and Judge did a good job of also making sure that he has incentives in his contract, that he still feels like the underdog, and he has to prove himself. That's big for both sides. Now, Aaron Judge then made some comments. He's still playing towards his contract. He's still playing for the future. He's still playing the media. He said, I'm the best player on this team. Now, he actually meant to say, this is the best team on the planet. Because when you listen to what he said closely, he said, when you're the best planet on the team, and he meant to say when you're the best team on the planet, that's what he claims at least, and it kind of makes sense afterwards. But I kind of like it if he was saying I'm the best player on the team, because if I'm saying I'm the best player on the team, he's saying, yeah, I'm worth $400 million, and he wants to go out there and keep proving. He's only missed three games the entire season through 75 games. He's only missed three games. So all the talk of him not being durable, all the, he's gone out and played center field every day. Not only is he the best player in baseball, he's played the toughest position maybe in baseball in center field. He's not a right fielder anymore. It's kind of funny that the Aaron Judge's chambers are still in right field in Yankee Stadium because he's a center fielder. It's unbelievable. He's been incredible. He's been as good as he's ever been. He's on pace to hit 60-plus homers. The Yankees are on pace to win 120 games. It's something that we haven't seen in such a long time from this team, and Aaron Judge is making every dollar worth it, and he's going to make $400 million after this season because of the season he's having. Now, for the Yankees, they need to win this year. Like, enough about everything else, because if they have this historic 
regular season and they still don't win, that just puts more of a damper on everything they've been trying to do. Like, it's one thing if you keep losing, you keep coming up short in the playoffs, or you have last season where it was just such a disappointing regular season, and then it culminates in losing in the wild card game in disappointment. But this year, it's you know enough. They have to win in the World Series because the way this team is constructed, the way they're finding ways to win, we'll get to that in a little bit. Aaron Judge, it kind of falls on him. All the pressure is on him. And if they don't win the World Series this year, then you have to crawl to Judge and hand him the $400 million and say, you're right, we were wrong. I think the Yankees are in a much better position if they do win the World Series. Think about it. If they win, if they win the World Series... They could go to Aaron Judge and say, hey, look, we just won the World Series. You were the best player on the team. You were a big part of that. Come home. Let's make this a dynasty. We started this in 2017. We finally got over the hump. Let's win a few in a row. But at the end of the day, we got our World Series. We're not going to hamstring the future of our franchise by giving you $500 million. Go elsewhere to a team that's not a winner. And I think Judge won't mind walking. I don't know if he cares so much about being a Yankee, about winning a championship. Maybe he's starting to feel that. He started talking about the fans being the best fans in the world, stuff like that. He's starting to talk like that. But until now, it's kind of seemed like Judge has separated himself where I'm the best player in the world. Like I said about those comments, maybe not true. Maybe he was talking about how great the team is. But if he's saying I'm the best player in the world and then there's the Yankees, which are the best team, maybe he's kind of separated those things. I don't look at him as a Derek Jeter who wants to be the face of the New York Yankees and wants to be the Yankee shortstop. And that's just as important. He wants to win just as importantly as he wants his own personal success and personal fame. I think Aaron Judge cares more about how he's perceived and being the face of baseball more than he is the face of the Yankees. So If the Yankees win the World Series and they say, hey, it's $350 million, it's incentive-based, there's opt-outs for you, opt-outs for us, which is what I think a contract to a guy like Aaron Judge, who's going to be 31, a 6'7 outfielder in Major League Baseball, that's what I think it should look like, then maybe he walks away from that. But if the Yankees don't win, then they have to get down on bended knee and beg him to stay, because if they get knocked out again this year and then lose Aaron Judge, that's something this team can never come back from. Now, it won't be a good look if they lose him after they win the World Series, but at least then the fans could say, hey, they won the World Series, they offered him a ton of money, and this guy decided to walk. They could then look at Judge and hate Judge. But they're not going to look at the franchise and say, how could we, you know, this team, they can't even keep their own best player. But if the Yankees don't win the World Series and then can't make a commitment to the guy who's the reason that they are close to winning a World Series, he has been the best player by far in the league, the best player on this team by far, then that is a really bad look for the New York Yankees. Now, before we get there, we have a whole second half of the regular season. We're 70 games in, not even halfway through. And we have the Houston Astros to get through. And over the weekend, that was fun. The Houston Astros are tough. The Yankees obviously get no hit for 16 consecutive innings, including a no hitter on Saturday night. I don't know how much it means. Like you got no hit. Okay. Like it sucks, but it's just another loss, right? On to the next one. I saw a stat that the other teams that were no hit for that. I think there were only other two other teams that were hit, no hit for 16 consecutive innings. And they both went on to win the world series that year. Does that mean the Yankees are going to win the world series? Not at all. Like it's totally coincidental, but It just goes to show you that being no hit and being no hit for that long during the regular season doesn't necessarily mean that you're not winning a World Series. It doesn't count as more of a loss. But their ability to come back off the mat on Sunday and win the way they did. Stanton starts it off with a solo shot. LeMahieu ties it. And then, of course, Aaron Judge with the walk-off. I'll take it. That's a momentum shift. That's a team that shows you that even when we're quote-unquote down and out, we could still come back and win. And we've seen this team do it a whole bunch of times. 
We talked about how going into the last 13 games, they were facing real competitors, right? Everyone said, oh, well, the Yankees haven't faced anyone yet. First of all, you can only play against the competition you're given. So you can't fault the Yankees. You can't say, oh, they haven't played real competition. They were still, you know, had 50 wins before anyone else in the league. But over the last 13 games, they went 9-4. and four. And obviously that doesn't include the last two games against Oakland, which is just a bad team. They go 9-4 and four over the 13 games against Toronto, against Tampa, against Houston. Those are teams that are supposed to be the tougher teams in the American League. And the Yankees said, no, yeah, we're going to take care of business with those guys also. That's a true sign of a good team. The New York Yankees had the lowest batting average in a series that the team didn't lose. I think they batted maybe 143 in the series against Houston. I'm not kidding. Over the four games. And they split the series. So what does that tell you? Like that To me, that's not like, oh, wow, this team is so bad and they're just getting lucky and winning. They're finding ways to win. And the reason that's important is because we know how good this team actually is. And they're a little bit of an offensive rut right now, maybe. But they're still finding ways to win, even against great teams. The last two nights against the A's, those are bad teams. I get that. That's a bad team. And yet, teams like the Yankees, on Monday night, they had the seventh inning where there was a walk, a hit-by-pitch, and two catchers' interferences. That happens to good teams. Good teams take advantage of those mistakes by a bad team and end up winning. So that's not a knock on the Yankees that they found a way to win in those games. That's just all the more impressive. And against the good teams, you're getting no hit for 16 consecutive innings against a really good team in Houston, and you come back and win that game. You come back and win the game on Thursday night also. Aaron Judge with the two walk-offs, that's huge. Aaron Hicks, it's unsung heroes. It's guys who you wouldn't expect to be the hero who are coming up for this team. And the biggest difference between this year and last year's Yankees is not the talent, because the talent, the roster is essentially the same. Maybe they made a lateral move by getting rid of Gary Sanchez, Although Jose Trevino has been just incredible. If you look at the pitching stats, it's not normal how good they've been with him behind the plate. They get rid of Gio Urshela, but has Josh Donaldson really been that great? Obviously, they get IKF at short, but he's not been the guy who is... They didn't go after a Corey Seager or one of those guys to play shortstop. They got IKF, who's been awesome. But at the same time, it's not like they made major moves. That's not the biggest difference from last year. The biggest difference from last year in this Yankees roster and what they've been able to do is last year at this point, and I made this point on Twitter as I was listening to Pat Boyle, who was talking on Sunday night into Monday morning on WFAN, he rattled off a list of incredible finding ways to win wins this year. At this point last year, we were talking about the terrible losses, the heartbreaking losses, the losses that Aaron Boone kept referring to as gut punches. So if you look at last year, they lost an opening day. They got walked off on, or I guess they lost an extra innings at home. They had the sweep at home, a four-game sweep at home against Toronto in September at the end of the year when they were actually starting to surge a little bit. The 4th of July against the Mets. They had the two series against Boston, the one they lost three or four of in July, late July also. The two games against Philly in Philly. The loss against Tampa when they were also playing well. They win the first two games of the series and they could never finish a series. Remember how they couldn't close a series last year? The losses to Detroit in Detroit, back to that Tampa loss, they lost 14-0. That was Garrett Cole on the mound going for the sweep. Hey, we got this, and they lose 14-0. That was the day they traded for Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. Of course, you can't forget the Field of Dreams game, and then it all culminates in losing the way they did in the wildcard game. All these losses were losses that were like, I can't believe this team actually lost this game. And this year, they've had the exact opposite. They've had 10 walk-offs. 
23 come from behind victories. Aaron Judge now has three walk-offs on the year. The incredible one when they were down and he hits the walk-off home run against Toronto. Jose Trevino has two walk-offs. The game even against Oakland and obviously what they did in the Houston series. This team is so different. This team is a team that finds ways to win 10 walk-offs, 23 comebacks. That's the difference between this team and past teams. And I talked about it with the Rangers early in the season. And I said, hey, look, I don't know how good this roster is, but they find ways to win. Now, the Rangers ended up shoring up the roster and making a run to two games within two games of the Stanley Cup final. Now, ultimately, were they good enough? No, but I think this Yankee team where it's different than that Rangers team is this is a good team that's finding ways to win. This is not an average or mediocre young team that's finding ways to win. This is a team that's proven they could get there. This is a team that's gotten to the ALCS a couple of times in 17 and 19. This is a team that added Garrett Cole to that, added Giancarlo Stanton to that roster, added Anthony Rizzo. So this team is a team that actually has proven that they are a really good team And now it's about finding ways to win and growing. And every squad, you kind of get confidence as the season goes on and it builds confidence. And when you're down in a game, down 5-1 in the seventh inning, it's like, okay, we could come back. No one ever feels like you're out of a game when you have a team like this. And that's a mentality. That's something that I talk about in sports that's more than just the roster, more than just the back of the baseball card, more than just, you know, names on a piece of paper. That's where guys have a pulse. Guys have a heart. And when you feel like you're never out of a game, you can win every game. And that's why the Yankees are 55 and 20. I mean, how ridiculous is that? 55 and 20. Even if they don't keep up this pace, this team will be incredible. That's how incredible this team has set themselves up to be. So finding ways to win, is that a bad thing? No, because you can have all the talent in the world and just lose heartbreaking ways the way we saw last year. And this year, it's the exact opposite. They have the talent, they have the team, but they also have the guys... Matt Carpenter has been a hero for this team. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, like I mentioned. Jose Trevino. These guys have been heroes for this team. Another guy who's been a hero for this team is Aaron Hicks. And he's been pretty good lately. I love that he just pimped that home run. He watched it fly out of there as if he's been mashing and killing it all year. He hasn't. (laughs) But hey, good for you, Aaron Hicks. You've worked your way into the starting lineup every day. Congratulations. I still think they're going to trade for a corner outfielder. Maybe Benintendi. Maybe Ian Happ from the Cubs. But Aaron Hicks has been better. You got to give him credit for that. The one guy who hasn't been better, and by the way, that's a huge compliment. Saying Aaron Hicks has been better on this podcast, maybe I changed the name. This is still an anti-Aaron Hicks podcast. Whether it's called the Talk Show or the Rami LaVie podcast, it's still not the most pro-Aaron Hicks podcast. One guy who hasn't gotten better and one guy who's actually easy to root for is Joey Gallo. He's so hard to root against, and unfortunately, I've been finding myself rooting against him because he's just been tough. I mean, when you talk about not willing to change your approach, when you talk about how playing in right field makes you feel more comfortable, he started to surge a little bit. They put him in right field. Judge is now the everyday center fielder. Hicks is in left, and he's still been terrible. He can't get out of his own way. Um, It just sucks. It sucks to see because I think ultimately they're going to have to trade him. I talked about this a couple episodes ago, and I think he'll do well somewhere else. I am really rooting for him. I think he has to change his approach. Like I think saying, hey, I'm not going to change. Why should I change is kind of crazy. But at the same time, it's tough, but there's nothing left to say about Joey Gallo. I don't want to hate on him. I just feel bad for him. One thing I did notice over the last couple of days is the stadium has looked awesome. Yankee Stadium in the Houston series, and even in this series, the Monday night, Michael K. mentioned it on the broadcast. Look at this Monday night crowd. 
It was packed. People going nuts on a Monday night after a long, crazy series. Maybe it would be a little bit of a letdown after that crazy series against Houston. And the stadium has looked amazing. I said I wasn't going to go back till the playoffs because it's all about the playoffs. That's the bottom line. But with the stadium looking the way it's looked, I might have to go catch a regular season game, another one this year, because it's looked incredible. And by the way, just because the stadium is packed, they actually did their best numbers on TV. The Yes Network said that is their best, their highest rated game. They had over 500,000 viewers on Monday night. A Monday night game is the best the Yes Network has done in over four years. That's kind of crazy to me. That's how much the city is getting behind this team. And yeah, there's nothing else going on, but the stadium looks packed and looks rocking and the TV numbers are great. That's awesome. But it doesn't matter unless we get to the playoffs. Once you get to the playoffs, that's when it's going to matter uh, for the Yankees. That's when it's going to matter. They have to, like I said before, it's time to win it all. Because if you have this incredible season and then you lose in the playoffs, that's even worse than having a mediocre season and losing in the playoffs, in my opinion. And I don't think you can argue for, about that. The other thing I noticed when I was looking at the Yankees' shiny record is something that made me really happy. First place in the American League East is the New York Yankees. Second place is the Boston Red Sox. That's how it should be. That's how it's supposed to be. All is right with the world. The Red Sox are in second place, and yes, they're closer to last place. The Orioles are closer to second place than the Yankees are to second place. But the Red Sox are right there as the second team when you look up In the standings, you see New York followed by Boston. So with all the talk of the Blue Jays, all the talk of the Tampa Bay Rays, at the end of the day, it's the Yankees and the Red Sox. The Red Sox got off to a slow start, but they've been hot of late. You don't expect the Yankees to keep up the pace they've been on. I think these games are going to get more interesting than you think. Do I think the Yankees have the division locked up? For the most part, I wouldn't say locked up at this point. still June, end of June. But... If it comes down to the Yankees and Red Sox, even if it's not in the regular season, but if it's in the postseason, give me that. I'm all here for it. I want it. I want to Red so- the Red Sox. I want to get revenge on last year. One more story from baseball, and then we'll hit the NBA because the draft happened, and I talked to you guys before the draft, and some things that I predicted happened in the draft, some things that I definitely didn't predict happened in the draft also. But I want to talk about one story that I heard today that's been a hot topic and just the weirdest story. So I'm not even going to give a full opinion on it. I just kind of want to touch on it is the Freddie Freeman situation. So Freddie Freeman signs a big contract with the L.A. Dodgers after winning with the Atlanta Braves. And I kind of talked on the podcast. Um, I Well, it's actually funny. I started recording this podcast earlier today. I told you I guys I would take you guys behind the curtain and, and share things with you. And that's one of the things I pride myself on doing on this podcast is actually sharing the process behind this. I started recording this podcast earlier, and some days you're just not feeling it. Some days you think it's just not coming out as good as you'd hope. And I was listening. I was like, this is just not good. This is not good content right now. I shut it down. I stopped recording. I went on with my day. I came, I did the traffic reports, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to record again tonight. Get right back up on the horse. Yeah, I wasn't so happy with how today went. I never usually do that where I just scrap something completely, but uh, I did that today. I don't know why. I just halfway through, I was kind of like, hey, this podcast really isn't good. And I kind of compared Aaron Judge winning a World Series and then walking to Freddie Freeman. And then this Freddie Freeman story came out. And it's not really a good comparison anymore because Freddie Freeman wins the World Series in Atlanta, signs the huge deal with the Dodgers after Atlanta wasn't willing to sign him. And then he goes back for this emotional series in Atlanta. It's made a huge deal all over social media. They're posting pictures and videos about his return to Atlanta. And then he fires his agents because he's so distraught over the fact that he's not playing there anymore. 
He's so worked up emotionally. Dude, you wanted the bag. You wanted your money. Maybe Aaron Judge does look at this and says, hmm. Now, I don't think Aaron Judge has that connection to New York. Like I said, he's not a married guy with kids who grew up here, who feels like he's been raised in the city. I don't know if he has that connection. Freddie Freeman clearly did have that connection with the city. But that's just a weird, messy situation. He hasn't played to his capabilities so far in L.A. And if you're the Dodgers, you're looking at this, and you got to just say, yikes. Yeah, you got this guy like locked up, but is he in the right state of mind to be your superstar right now? I'm not so sure. And it's just an interesting story that's going on. If you're Freddie Freeman, like that's what your agent's job is. It's to get you the best possible contract. So I don't know how you could I don't know how you could be upset about that necessarily. But apparently Freddie Freeman is, and that's just an interesting story that I never thought we'd see coming in the MLB. All right. Last time I talked to you guys was before the NBA draft, which was Thursday night. Um, and I kind of mentioned that I thought the Knicks I didn't know what they were going to do. I thought maybe they'd trade up. I thought maybe they'd try and move in the draft. But I said the biggest thing for the Knicks was to gain flexibility and to be ready for the road ahead, what might might possibly happen. I said the only thing guaranteed in the draft, or in the NBA that is, is that somebody's going to ask out and not be happy in a certain situation. And you got to be ready for that. Well, the Knicks kind of did that. But the first thing that happened, I want to talk about this before I get to the Knicks, is the NBA draft really sucks, and I forgot how much it sucks. I wanted to just sit down and enjoy. I guess the Knicks weren't in the lottery last year, um, because obviously they won. They were the fourth seed, and they went to the playoffs and all that. So I had forgotten how bad the draft was, because I didn't watch the draft last year. And I sat down to watch the draft, and I'm getting tweets seven minutes before picks are taken about what the draft's going to be, what the pick's going to be. And then I get to hear some old NBA player, some former NBA player say, well, that's a great pick. This player, he's talented. He's tall. He's got a big wingspan. He can shoot. He needs to work on his dribbling a little bit. He needs to work on his defense, but he's got this size. Like, overly positive about every single pick and how it's such a great fit. And just praising to no end when the real draft is actually just happening on Twitter with people reacting in real time. And nothing that's going on on TV even matters. Like, I don't understand how the NFL is able to control this and the NBA couldn't figure this out with the draft. It just doesn't really make sense to me. It's just such a bad TV experience. It's almost like it's not worth being televised at this point. They have to figure out a way. If you want to have the guys, if you want to have Woj and Shams just sit on, maybe they sit in two separate rooms and you pit them against each other and you see who gets gets the pick first. Like, I don't know, make it fun. The NBA is all about making it fun, a fun experience, going off script to make it fun. Why can't you figure out the NBA draft? It's so bad. It's so tough to watch. Now, it's actually tough to watch when everything is known seven minutes before it happens, but the only thing that's not known is what the Knicks they were doing. What they did on draft night, nobody knew what was going on. So it looks like they draft this French kid at the 11th pick, and then they announce, no, he's traded to OKC. All right, so you assume the Knicks got the 12th pick. Then the 12th pick is taken. It's like, no, the Knicks don't have that pick either. That's also OKC. Also, the Knicks traded with the Hornets, and they got rid of Kemba Walker to Detroit. So it's like, oh, wow, maybe they traded up and got Jaden Ivey. And then after all is said and done, no, that hadn't happened either. Jaden Ivey's not part of it. We have different reports coming from different reporters on Twitter. No one knows what's happening. 
obviously the TV people, they're the last people to know anything. So they didn't know what was going on. And then the Knicks all of a sudden, in about an hour, become the laughing stock of the league again. What are the Knicks doing? What a joke. The Knicks fans are going crazy. The fake Knicks fans of your Spike Lee or your Stephen A. Smith, who's literally just on TV during the draft so that he can shake his head and go, my Knicks are terrible. Like, what's the point? Stephen A. Smith, you're not a real Knicks fan. You're just a guy who uses the Knicks to chase clout. Like, I I respect Stephen A. Smith and what he does. Like, his fake opinions and what he does to get attention, that's what he's supposed to be doing. That's his job. But I hate that he uses my team to do it. I hate that he uses the Knicks and hides behind the wall of pretending to be a Knicks fan to say, I'm so terribly depressed. And of course, Knicks fans, no matter what happened, they were going to complain. If they had kept the French guy, if they had drafted someone else, there would have been complaints about anything. So we don't make it any better for ourselves as Knicks fans because we add fuel to the fire. We're the ones on Twitter saying, oh, what a mess. This is insane. And then people start to make fun of us. We're like, oh, we got Ivy. Oh, wait, maybe we're trying to get Kyrie Irving. All these things. And I never said I wanted Kyrie Irving. When in reality, what the Knicks actually did, it just looked a whole lot worse than it was. Like, I said going into the draft, I wanted flexibility. The Knicks got flexibility. The Knicks have been drafting poorly forever. You wanted them to take another lottery pick? Their last four lottery picks are Kristaps Porzingis, Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and Frank Nilakina. Now, maybe if they had drafted Tyrese Halliburton instead of Obi Toppin, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because they'd have the point guard of the future. You know, we would definitely not be having this conversation right now if they hadn't made the four seed last year because then they wouldn't have signed Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier and overreacted to that. They would have stayed the course. But because they did that, they needed to recover from last year. So they did what they could to recover. And they continue doing that tonight. So they got rid of Kemba Walker. I said that Nerlens Noel is superfluous on this team. I said they'd probably trade Alec Burks, even though I like Alec Burks a lot. I like what he can do, but... It's about developing the young guys we already have on the roster. That means more minutes for Quentin Grimes. That means more minutes for Jericho Sims. That means more minutes for Emmanuel Quickly. More minutes for Obi Toppin. Deuce McBride. All these guys are ready to step up. And you think drafting an 18-year-old French kid and putting him with Tom Thibodeau and saying, here, develop him, was the right move? Do you really trust the Knicks to make the right pick in the draft? And at the same time, even if it wasn't the Knicks... The draft is such an unknown. Look at the last 10 years. Look at the lottery picks, especially the ones outside the top 10. Over the last 10 years, you're not going to find a ton of superstars in there. You're lucky if you find roster players. You're lucky if you find rotation players. There's three to five rotation players who come out of the draft every year. And if you're lucky, there's one to two stars. And that's it. So if you're a team like the Warriors, who I talked about, and how they grew and how they developed, and Bob Myers and all that, you play the long game. You build the right way. And I said the Knicks, they needed to get flexibility. They needed to get future draft picks. Ryan Rosillo made a funny point. He was like, no one's ever like, hey, let's do this really fun thing, but let's do it in three years from now. The Knicks fans were rightfully upset that they didn't get to hear their team called with the name of a player and get to hear uh, Kendrick Perkins say, oh my God, this guy is awesome. He has a wingspan. He's great. They had one running joke the entire night. So if they would have taken a big man, he would have loved it. If they didn't take a big man, he would have said, oh man, they didn't take a big man, which was every single pick. We were going to use the same joke for four hours, apparently. (laughs) But the Knicks fans didn't get to hear that. Instead, they got three future picks. But something weird about the NBA draft is that the picks 
the unknown of the draft picks are actually worth more. They're worth more as assets than the actual player. Say you have the 11th overall pick in the draft. He's worth more than the guy you would have taken. Now, one case where it's definitely true is the Sacramento Kings. They had the fourth overall pick in the draft. That could have been Jaden Ivey. And instead, they don't trade out of the spot. Anyone would have traded up to get Ivy, but instead they just take someone else, which is just hilarious. It's comical to me because it wasn't a good roster fit for them because he wasn't going to mesh with De'Aaron Fox. That's just kind of funny. But once it became clear that the Knicks weren't going to get Matherin, who I love, and by the way, I'm a Pacers fan now. I wanted Tyrese Halliburton a couple years ago. I wanted Benedict Matherin in this draft, and now the Pacers have both of them. So once it became clear the Knicks weren't going to get Matherin, they weren't going to get Ivy. The next best move is not to just take the best available player and pray. It's okay. How can we improve this team in the long run? How can we become an option for the next time there's a superstar that wants out? And maybe that's going to be Donovan Mitchell. Like I said, Donovan Mitchell's been making the rounds with Emmanuel quickly. Who knows what's happening with that? And you get these guys on the cheap when they become available. So three future draft picks, even if they're not actually worth anything... That's what people are trading for these days. And obviously they're clearing space for Jalen Brunson. And it looks like for the first time that the Knicks are rumored to a guy, they're actually going to get that guy. So you can make fun and say, ha ha, the Knicks did all this just to get Jalen Brunson. Or just to hope they'll get Jalen Brunson, but they're actually going to get him. Right? I mean, I think so. If they don't get him, that's a different story. But his dad's a coach now. His former agent, a guy who's known him since he's a child, Leon Rose, is running the team. So we assume that the Knicks are actually going to get Brunson. But this is not the same as them preying on getting LeBron and KD when they were free agents. Because he's not that type of player. They're going to get him for four or five years for $100 million. That's the reported contract that's going to be. Like I said, the cap's going to go up. I said this all before the draft. Like, you shouldn't be shocked at any of this stuff if you listen to what I'm saying on this podcast. Not that I'm the guy who knows everything. I actually said I claim not to know anything. But I think in this case, I was actually right. They're going to get Brunson. They're going to continue to try and develop the young guys with a real point guard. R.J. Barrett's not going to be your primary ball handler. We're not going to have to see Julius Randle hold the ball. And I don't even want to break down what the team's going to look like with Brunson at the point guard. I just want to say why it's different than preying on LeBron. You're not looking at them as the savior of the franchise. You're looking at them as another piece that can be part of the building process that when a superstar and Maybe it's Mitchell, but maybe it's a guy, and more likely it's a guy that we don't know who it is today because the NBA, thats they surprise you. They come out of nowhere with what's going to happen, and that person is going to look up and say, hey, the Knicks are doing something nice. I like Emmanuel quickly. I like Quentin Grimes. I like Jericho Sims. I like R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brunson. If I could go there and be a wing player and all I have to do is score, play a little defense, and I know Jalen's going to get me the ball, and I know I have a good teammate in R.J. who could be my wingman, all of a sudden, you look at that team and you're like, hey, I want to go there. So that's what the Knicks are doing. That's what they're building. They're building methodically. Yes, there was a bit of a hiccup because they made the playoffs. Ironically, that was a hiccup in the process because it caused them to then overreact and spend a ton of money, give Julius the huge contract, and we'll see if he can come back and be the guy that he was a couple years ago or if he's totally severed that relationship with the crowd and the Knicks fans. You overreact and you gave all that money to Noel and Burks and to Fournier and to Kemba. But you got off of three of those contracts already. So you're doing the right decisions. You're undoing the mistakes you made. That's fine. It was actually interesting. I started going back to listen to 
podcasts from when different things happen in the NBA. Last episode, I think I talked about when the league shut down for COVID. I was listening to a podcast right after the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday. And everyone was saying, oh my God, the desperate Bucks just trying to keep Giannis. And ultimately, they win a championship and we look at it in a totally different light. Yeah, are those picks going to become valuable? Maybe. But at the same time, Giannis is happy. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Drew is a huge part of that team. And if Chris Middleton doesn't get hurt, they're probably in the finals again this year. So we love to overreact in the moment. I've said this countless times on this podcast. But let's look at the big picture. And for the Knicks, I think that's what they're doing. They're thinking big picture, and I think it's the right thing to do. Now, another free agent news, stuff that's already come out, is Kyrie signs his contract. He opts in to $37 million. There's the whole drama, him going back and forth with Stephen A. Smith, talking about how... Yeah, hey, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go out of the box. I'm going to do what people don't normally do. I could have opted out. I could have gotten a big contract. When at the end of the day, the Nets gambled and they gambled right. No one was going to give Kyrie a big contract. He's unreliable and no one trusts him. The Nets did the right thing. They didn't give a guy who's proven to be unreliable over and over again a guaranteed contract. And now they get him for one more year. They have one more chance to... Maybe he's motivated. Maybe he sees now that he has to prove himself, that he can't be the same guy. Although from his comments on Twitter, it doesn't seem like he's changed his mind about anything. And this is not an anti-Kyrie thing because I actually love Kyrie Irving. I like him as a person. And somebody was saying, stop the hate. Stop hating Kyrie Irving. Why is Stephen A. Smith hating on Kyrie Irving? I don't understand that either. I, I don't understand Stephen A. Smith going after Kyrie Irving. It doesn't make sense to me. But like I said, he likes to make his money by using other people. He's reliable. Do I like him? Do I want him to do well? Yeah. But really, this is the last opportunity. And what are the Nets going to be? KD, Kyrie, maybe Ben Simmons. They have a chance to be one of the best teams in the East if they all buy in. But I don't know what the odds of that happening are. Is the likelihood of free agency looming and not getting that huge deal enough to get Kyrie motivated? Because we know money is not the answer. We already saw him give up money to make a statement. So what's it going to be? When does it become, hey, I need to look at this in a serious light and I need to take this into consideration for Kyrie Irving. Another thing that happened is John Wall. He got bought out by the Rockets. First, he opted into his contract also and then got bought out. What was it? Something like $47 million. He's going to go to the Clippers and everyone's going to post their videos And I saw Kawhi Leonard and Paul George all posting their videos. They got a former all-star guard. This is incredible. Is it really? It's John Wall. It's a guy who hasn't been an all-star in years, who hasn't played. With two other guys who, by the way, also haven't played. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. The Clippers are the ultimate what-if team. They're the ultimate team of, on paper, this could really work. If they all get healthy, if they all get right, it could really work. And people are going to get so excited over it. Well, we saw how that worked out last year with the Lakers when they got Russell Westbrook, who also opted in to his $47 million contract, and he didn't have a choice either. His stock is at an all-time low. What would he be worth on the open market right now? Maybe $3 million a year? Is anyone giving him that? So he needs to rehabilitate his image, just like Kyrie. It's kind of a different situation there. Westbrook never quit on a team. He's always trying hard. He wants to play every game. He wants to prove himself. He cares a ton, maybe too much. But it's a similar situation to Kyrie Irving where he now has to prove that he's worth something. He's got value in him so that ultimately maybe the Lakers could trade him. I think the best move for the Lakers is to trade LeBron. 
They know that after this year, he's probably out anyway. Like, LeBron's in the weirdest situation of his career because this is what he does. He wins titles, and then he leaves teams in shambles. He makes them do everything for while he's there, and then he leaves them with a mess. He did it in Miami. He did it in Cleveland. But does he want to do that in L.A.? He kind of wants to stay in L.A. That's the theory, right? That he wants to stay in L.A. now. He's got his movie career. By the way, that movie, Hustle, the Adam Sandler movie, was awesome. I love Anthony Edwards. That guy is the best. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit later in the summer when there's not much to talk about. But LeBron, is this going to be another situation where he's out? And if he's deciding to leave, he's definitely not going to tell anyone. He's going to have the Lakers hanging on by a thread wondering, is he leaving? Is he not leaving? So maybe the Lakers are better off not making any moves to satisfy LeBron, but instead just trading him now. Maybe that's the best move for the Lakers. You have to have some guts to trade LeBron James. I get that. But it still might be the best move. Lastly, Paolo Bencaro went first overall in the draft after it was reported a couple hours earlier that he would not go first overall. I thought he was the best player. I told you he had that it factor. I told you I liked what I heard about him. And he goes first overall. He was plus 300. I think there's some sort of insider trading going on with these NBA reporters because they report something and then the opposite happens. It shifts the odds on FanDuel like crazy. He went from minus 200 for being the first pick to plus 300. You think Woj could have put that out there, then bet a ton of money on it and made a ton of money? I mean, it's possible, right? He's not banned from these sites. It's also funny that they're obviously giving out reports for their own agendas because... Back to the Kyrie stuff for a second. Shams was reporting everything from the Kyrie camp and Woj was reporting everything from the Nets camp. And you could read those two reports. They say the same thing, but they're in totally different lights. Like Shams wrote, he's committing to stay with Brooklyn for his whole tenure. Whereas basically Woj was saying, yeah, Kyrie had no other option, so he had to opt in. It's kind of funny how you could say the same thing, but in two totally opposite ways, depending on what your agenda is. That's what I talk about all the time. You kind of have to clear all the agendas when you're looking at this stuff. Um, And that's what I'm going to wrap up with. NBA free agency, like I said, starts in a couple days. The rumblings are already underway. We're going to hear more and more. More stuff is going to leak. I have to release this podcast at some point. So there's going to be stuff that comes out no matter what after I release this. But it's been fun. Like I said, new era. We're going to get even better. We're going to keep growing the podcast. And I can't wait for the different things that we see on here. Thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. There's going to be a lot more to come. It's the new name. Still the same game. Still the same stuff. But hopefully just better. So until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it up, oh, oh, oh. always on my road. I'm still New York. You're the only oh, oh, oh. that I'll ever know. Oh, oh. My concrete walls. Oh, oh, oh. I'm still New York. I'm still New York.
drop down riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive City. And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I change it up, oh, oh Always on my own, oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, that I'll ever know, oh, oh My concrete walls, I'm still New York Yeah BK born and raised, I was God sent I used to hit them courts, y'all didn't prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire, stay the mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest, yeah Said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do, though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding